as we continue our study in that book. And we will finish this morning that section on the qualifications for the office of elder. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Yes, after I get through reading scripture, there's a book on my desk by John Calvin. Would you go fetch it for me after I get through praying and read scripture? Thank you. We'll start in verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true child, in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as a God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy words as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He may be seated. Go to the Lord in prayer. Take a moment to pray quietly, then I will lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father, we pray for your grace as we come to consider your word this morning. It's a very practical portion of Scripture. And pray, O God, that you would be with me as I preach it. And pray that you would be with your people as they hear it. That it would be, Lord, for our instruction, but also for our sanctification. We pray for hearts of humility as we come to consider your word this morning. Pray, O God, for your grace again to me. As I can do nothing apart from your grace and help. So bless me, O Lord, and bless your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been out of town and you ask someone to watch your house while you are away? What kind of person are you going to ask to watch your house? Well, it's not going to be one who is irresponsible, the person who may or may not show up, the person who may or may not take care of your animals while you are away, the person who may, while you're away, take that opportunity to have a big party at your house. Thank you. Uh, the person who may or may not uh, take care to get your papers and take care to get your mail and all that sort of thing. You're going to have somebody that's responsible that you can trust. That they're going to do what is for the best interest of your dwelling place while you are 
away. Well, this morning, uh, as we come to the end of this section on the qualifications for elders, uh, we learn uh, why those who serve in the office, what their primary focus should be, what their primary responsibility is in the church. And the primary focus, the primary goal of elders in the church are to teach the Word of God and to preach the Word of God. They are to take care of the spiritual needs of the congregation. That becomes very clear as we go to the end of this section. So we see why it is then that God would have these men qualified uh, spiritually by the lives that they live. Um, see this morning as I go through this text um, that because the church needs shepherds to instruct them in the word of God. Because the church needs shepherds to instruct them in the word of God. God appoints them to it. Then God, by his grace, is pleased to call and equip men to that office. And they are to be faithful in it. Three things. Consider the first two last week. We'll look over them briefly this morning. That elders in the church are necessary according to the dictates of God. That elders in the church must possess certain qualifications as ordered by the Lord in the scriptures. And the third thing is the elders in the church are necessary for the health of the church. And then remember, the elders are there by the dictate of God. This started in the Old Testament, founded in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it becomes more formalized. Within 15 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, elders were put into the church. Why? Because the church needed organization, and the church needed leadership. And so it was that these men served in that, and they were given exhortations such as 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder, here Peter talking, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, he saw the sufferings of Jesus, as you know, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but be an example of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you shall receive the unfading crown of glory. So here there was his exhortation by, the, by Peter uh, to these men, because these men are fallible. Elders are fallible men. Elders are men who have sin in their lives. They will not always do the kind of job they're supposed to do. So here's this exhortation coming from Peter in the first century to the elders of the church where they are ministering. The second thing was there were qualifications given for the office. The negative, what he's not to be, and then the positive. And what is he not to be? Well, he's not to be arrogant. He's not to be self-willed. He's not to be pushy to have his way all the time. He is not to be quick-tempered. He's not to be a drunkard. He's not to be violent. Uh, a man given to violence has no place uh, in, the, in the office of, of the church. None whatsoever. Uh, and, and a man that's ever struck his wife has no place in the church either as an officer, as far as I am concerned. He is not to be greedy for gain, not to be a lover of money. What's the problem when a man is a lover of money? Well... Now, several things can happen. One thing is, you can love it so much, it's idolatry. He loves money so much, it doesn't matter of that being his God. That's the same thing true with the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus, he was a religious man. He was a well-to-do man. And he said, what, what, what can I do to follow you? What do I need to do? He was sincere when he asked that. And so he's told, well, you need to give away what you have. Because that's your God. And then come and follow me. So the man, as you know, went away sad 
because he loved his money and his possessions more than he would follow after Christ. It must never be put before ministry and people. It is for the sake of the use of ministry and for people and to meet the needs of those around us. Uh, and I gave an example last week of the fellow on uh, Pawn Stars, uh, Rick Harrison, that he bought that. It was not uh, Tiffany. It was a Fabergé. And uh, it was a spider. My son Jonathan told me all this. He gave her $15,000 when she asked to. I found it was worth about $80,000. So maybe he is a lover of money after all. Uh, as he uh, supported himself, I guess, in his family's needs through, through keeping that. Um, so he is to be uh, one who uh, is uh, above reproach. Uh, if anyone is above reproach, it says here, it says it twice in the text. Uh, not a perfect man. All people are sinners. All people are sinners. And so it's not a perfect man. But as a man against whom a charge of immorality or holding false doctrine is alleged, uh, his conduct should be irreprehensible or irreproachable. Undoubtedly, it means that if any charge can be brought against him implying moral uh, problems, he is not fit for the office. He should be a man of irreproachable character for truth, honesty, chastity, and general uprightness, as well as humility. So he is to be the husband of one wife, as we saw this past uh, week. Uh, some people think if a man's been divorced, he should never be in the office again. Uh, there are those who think that. Others, it depends on the circumstances surrounding the divorce. His children are to be believers. Uh, at least, uh, Dr. Knight, I think I told you this last week, said that as far as long as they are in the home, uh, they must be respectful to their parents, obeying their parents, and coming to worship with their parents as well. He has to be hospitable. I did not read this to you last week. I'm going to read it to you now. I don't know. I don't think I did. A minister who neglects the poor, but is frequent in visiting to the rich, knows little of his master's work and has little of his master's heart. This is the man who is to be hospitable. And, you know, that we have many opportunities here in this city. And uh, I think I've told you before that some of the greatest at doing this was uh, um, uh, Lillian and Jim Turley. They would often have people in their homes who were here for cancer treatment. And we have many folks coming in. I had a call in the office. Uh, Jess talked to them where a lady's husband was coming, a brother was coming to town. And she wanted us to make contact with him and, and go visit with him. So there's opportunities there for us. Well, then the last thing is uh, that elders are necessary for the health of the church. He uses two words here. The first is presbyteros. That's where we get the term. Presbyterian or Presbytery, it translates elder. The second word is episcopon. That's where we get episcopal, as I'm sure you know. That word translates overseer. So what is the job of the elder according to the scriptures? The job of the elder, he is to shepherd the flock of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves. Take heed to yourself. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God, which belongs, which he obtained with his own blood. So the elder then must have a burden for the gospel of Christ. He must have a desire to see people obey the gospel. He must have a desire to see the gospel communicated. He must have a concern for ministry. 
of ministering to the needs of others in the congregation that need help, you must have the conviction of the immeasurable value of the church. We should all have that conviction. And that whatever we do, whatever we say, however we act is going to be for the good of the church, not to destroy it, not to weaken it, but to build it up. So here, if one's going to serve as a leader in the church, you must have that conviction that the church of God, the church of Christ was purchased by his blood. And it is immeasurably valuable. And do you have that conviction? Do you have that conviction in your own heart, in your own life this morning, that the church is invaluably uh, precious? And you're going to see to it that whatever you say, whatever you do, ever how you act, is going to show that you recognize the great value of the church. And that it was purchased by the blood of your Savior. So they need to have this conviction. And they must understand also that they will give an account to the Lord for how they conduct themselves. So every officer in the church, whether elder or deacon, can ask yourself this. How am I being faithful with my obligations that I took when I became an officer? By taking vows. We ask ourselves that. I ask myself that. Am I being faithful? To fulfill my obligations as a pastor concerning the vows I took and concerning Scripture and what the Word of God tells me. Because God notices. He notices even while he loves us and cares deeply for us. As a parent watches a child, uh, if a child is on a dock or a pier somewhere and the child's about two or three years old, uh, I wouldn't let one, let one out there without a life jacket myself, um, you know. But as closely as I would watch that child, God watches everything that we do. He sees everything that we do. He hears every word that we say. He knows every intent of our heart. So how am I doing fulfilling my vows that I took when I joined the church or when I became an officer? And when I joined the church as well, am I being faithful to those obligations? Demonstrating that, I recognize how valuable the church is. Well, the use of the term shepherd in the scriptures usually means to be a feeding or grazing. So in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17, you remember what happened. Peter is walking with Jesus. And he asks, uh, Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I love you. Well, he says to him, feed my lambs. He asks him a second time. Peter, do you love me more than these other men? He said, Lord, you know I love you. You know, I love you more than they do. And he responds to him, tend my sheep. He asked him a third time. We read there in the text in John chapter 21 and that Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time. And you know, I'm sure you've heard before, that reminds him of the three times he denied Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. So we ask him again, Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep. So, 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. So, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witness of the sufferings of Christ, Christ again, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Exercise oversight over the flock of God willingly, joyfully, gladly. Take care of God's people. And we have to remember, all officers in the church have to remember, the elders have to remember that we are simply stewards of what we're doing. 
In other words, those who are in the office of elder do so and are responsible to God for everything that they do. We're stewards. It's Christ's church. It's the Lord's church. It is not ours. And there are some people who hold the office that shouldn't have been the case throughout all of time. Some men who are ordained to preach shouldn't preach. How do we know? Well, they can't preach. They can't teach. They can't pastor. Uh, I have known men who had the conviction that they were called to the ministry to preach, but they had no gifts for it. Had a desire, but there have to be gifts there as well. And I've told you the story about the man who was plowing his field. I've told you this. Uh, you probably remember this. People remember illustrations. They don't remember what other things. They remember illustrations. So the man's plowing his field in the clouds appears PC. Uh, and he interprets that as preach Christ. And he goes to seminary and he's a miserable failure. Uh, he just is not, not morally, but he just can't do it. He just doesn't have the gifts for it. And he's talking to uh, one of the professors. And the professor said, do you ever think that might mean plow cotton instead of preach Christ? So there are men that are in the office that should not be in the office, but whether they should be in the office or not, they have taken vows and they are responsible for exercising that office faithfully before the Lord. That's the long and the short of it. They are responsible for it. They've accepted a call to a local church. They've taken vows and they are responsible before the Lord concerning how they manage uh, matters under the purview of their responsibility. True with elders, true with deacons, true with church members as far as the vows they took when they joined the church. We're responsible before the Lord for those. So Paul tells Titus that officers are stewards of the church, Luke 12, 20, 42 and 43. And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager uh, when his master will set over his household and give them the uh, portions of food at the proper time? He is a manager. He is an employee. He is a chamberlain. He is someone who is a servant to Christ. He has authority that God has given to him, but he is accountable before the Lord for how he uses that authority. A steward is not own, but manage. He's a steward. He is not own, but he manages what the master has put into his hands. It's not by chance that you're here this morning. It's not by chance you're a part of this church. It's not by chance we have the officers that we do. It's not by chance. It's according to God's design. And it is that we all are to carry out our responsibilities before the Lord faithfully. And the officers are to be respected. They also are to do their jobs faithfully before the Lord. So if these men are stewards, they have the burden and the responsibility and the pleasure and the treat of ministering the gospel of Christ. What a great privilege. What a great honor that the Lord has called sinful men to do this. The gospel. The word gospel appears 99 times in the New Testament. It does not appear in Titus, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. The word gospel does not appear in those books, but is nonetheless taught there. The gospel is from Evangelion, which means good news. That Christ has taken the wrath and condemnation of God upon himself, and you know this. What difference does it make to you then? 
Is your Christianity simply that, yeah, I know all that. I understand that. Jesus died for my sins. Well, so what? How does it affect the way you live? How does it affect the way that you think? Is it that you treasure the gospel and therefore you treasure the church? Because it is, has been given, it is the depository of the gospel of Christ. And it's the church's responsibility to administer that message of great treasure, great value, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your response, your reaction to the gospel is a matter of eternal life or eternal death. And so we are to take heed to ourselves, as we said, to make our calling and our election sure. By nature, as we are lawbreakers, we don't stop becoming lawbreakers after we're converted. Before we're converted, we're a crusty bunch. We're still kind of crusty after conversion. And so we have to struggle and we have to strive. And it is that the officers, the elders particularly, are to encourage you. This means encourage in sign language, in your strivings. This means if someone wanders away, that we are to go find them. Church discipline is one of the most difficult things to enact, but it's one of the most necessary things to enact as well. It's essential that church discipline be exercised. And it can be easily overlooked. One of the most overlooked things, I think, in most churches today. Well, Christ calls us uh, to honor his church. And it is that we do so faithfully. And we love people. And we care for people. So the importance of the gospel is seeing the emphasis is given in Scripture. Christ preached it. When the Lord Jesus Christ went around, went around, he preached the gospel. He says, from the time on, Jesus began to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said to them, let us go elsewhere to the town nearby that I may preach there also, for that is why I came here. The apostle Paul saw the preaching of the gospel as the utmost importance. So the Bible itself and how it is written is central to the scriptures. Teaches us how important the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is. And an elder is supposed to be able, must be able to teach it. That's what he says here in the text. Uh, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may, he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The ultimate expression of the care on the part of the eldership is being apt to teach the Bible. The ultimate expression of love that a pastor should have for his congregation is the desire to see them do well spiritually and to encourage them in that path. I may read this quote to you. The essential qualification directly related to an elder is tied expressly, not exclusively, but expressly to their ability to teach the truth and rebuke those who contradict it by precept or lifestyle. And so they're to keep the sheep gathered together. Whether they are mistaken in their understanding of the doctrine or whether they are living a life contrary to how they should live, the elder is to see to it that he exercises proper responsibility and teaches and instructs. So, when we become elders in the PCA, 
We take vows. We become deacons. We take vows as well. We take vows when we become members. Here are the questions to the officers. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you believe the Bible to be inspired by God? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and catechisms of the church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Do you further promise that if any time you find yourself out of accord with the fundamentals of the system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session the change which has taken place in your views? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America? Do you accept the office of ruling elder or deacon? Will you endeavor by God's grace to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and set a worthy example before the church, which God has made you an officer? Do you promise objection to the brethren? And do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church? Those are vows officers take. Those are vows that elders take when they become elders in the church. So we are then to take seriously the responsibility of taking on the office, and we know that we shall incur a strict judgment according to what is written in Scripture, and we must hold fast the word. We cling to it. And if we have someone that is out of accord, we confront them lovingly, gently, and instruct them. And what a great honor it is to teach people the Scriptures. It should be, listen to this, it should be the, the, the delight of an elder to teach the scriptures to all Christians, all their life, to give instruction concerning the word of God. And it should be your desire to hear that instruction, to receive that instruction. How do you do that? Well, you come to worship faithfully. I'm not going to go as far as Dr. Piper said, if you don't come on Sunday night, you're breaking the second commandment. Uh, but I think Sunday evening worship is pleasant. I would encourage people to come. We take opportunities to be taught and to receive the word of God. It is that through the scriptures, the primary means of grace is the proclamation of the word, and we are to avail ourselves to it. So a great responsibility placed upon those who take this upon themselves, a responsibility upon the congregation to be submissive to the elders. Well, what happens when the session does something that you think is just absolutely dumb? There's a difference in dumb and immoral and unbiblical. Dumb can be a matter of opinion. It's subjective. But a matter of breaking the law of God is not. So we are to be Submissive to the officers unless they do something or instruct us in such a way that is contrary to the gospel. At that point, we behave like the disciples who were unwilling not to preach as they were being told because they said we must obey God rather than men. So as we approach time to elect officers or nominate officers, we are to do so uh, prayerfully. And it's a good thing for young men to aspire to the office of elder. It says that in Timothy. Well, how do we expire? How does one expire to the office of elder? 
Now, for one thing, you give yourselves to learning the scriptures. You give yourself to being a person, a man of prayer. Uh, you give yourself to one who seeks to understand the doctrines of the church. And you exhibit the gifts to the people. Again, teaching is paramount in the life of an elder. That does not mean they have to get up and teach a Sunday school class. But it does mean they should be able to talk to people and explain to them the gospel and what it means. It means they should be discipling people. They should be engaged with the congregation, seeking to inform, instruct, and guide. There's no greater gift than that of being able to preach the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray for your grace. Ask your God to give us uh, help, the officers of the church, to be faithful. We pray, O God, that where they make mistakes, the congregation would be forgiving. And that you would help us, Lord, uh, to be uh, demonstrate uh, the res- proper uh, responsibility to preaching and teaching as officers and proper response of receiving it as your congregants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.